turn to Jonah. We're going to resume our last part of the series that we left off when uh, all the corona crisis began, and we're going to pick it up in chapter 4 and begin to see how Jonah finishes his journey with the Lord in this book. And so we read in chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, these words. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, the context of his anger is that God had ultimately forgiven the enemies of Israel in Nineveh. Uh, They were saved after Jonah went through the city for a number of weeks proclaiming uh, a judgment upon that city. Unless they repented, they repented, the king and its people. And instead of Jonah being filled with a sense of joy in what God was doing amongst a pagan people, we find here in verse 1, he was exceedingly, and he was angry, exceedingly angry. Verse 2, we read, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was in that country, in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you, Jonah, do well to be angry? Let's give this text over to the Lord and just ask God to speak to our hearts this morning. Father, we invite your Holy Spirit, your presence into our lives, that we may see the living, active, powerful Word of God that pierces right to the division of our soul and spirit. Lord, help us, as all of us are in this incredible journey called life, to discover your hands of goodness along the way. We pray that today that we learn something from Jonah's life, that it's better to surrender our lives to you than to be filled with bitterness and anger towards the way life will lead us. And so we just ask for you to guide us this morning as we meditate on your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All of us are on a journey called life. Uh, You know, Each of us, by God's grace, are going allotted 70, 80, sometimes 90. And there's a few who will make it to that great century, 100 years. But there are a few of us in that category. And in this life that we all walk through, there are many ups and downs. The outcome of this life will very much depend on the purpose for which we live it. The things that we commit our time and our energy to will equal the sum total of what we are at life's end. One of the great overarching themes of the Bible's 66 books is that all of us were created by God for a God-given purpose. And that purpose is only discovered when we're in relationship with him. And, and that is really the message of the gospel, that at one time, though we were alienated from Christ, from God, 
that through the shed blood of Christ, we are reconciled, brought into relationship with him, given new life and a new purpose in which to live it. And so now through the agency of God's Holy Spirit, we're giving a purpose that God would guide us along the way, transform us to be more and more like Jesus and to help us to accomplish his will. In order for all of that to happen, we may need to make it an aim in our journey in life to be with God, to walk with God. And, and that's one of the expressions you find repeatedly throughout the word of God, both Old Testament, and New Testament, is how God calls us to walk with him to journey in our life with him. In Deuteronomy, we're invited this way, that the commands of God, that the word of God that is given to us should be on our hearts and that we should talk about them when we sit in our homes and when we walk along the way. Another well-known scripture that helps us understand this, this call to walk with God is in Proverbs 3, Verses 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all of your ways, and he will direct our paths. When God is on the periphery of our lives, and, and this is strangely what was going on in Jonah's life, even though he was a prophet of God called by God for a unique purpose to ultimately proclaim repentance to a pagan people, the enemies of Israel, we find him on the outside somehow of God's will. And when we put God on the periphery of our lives, when we put him second and our own concerns first, rather than God filling us with his purpose, uh, we become cloudy and our direction goes off course. Instead of listening to God and acknowledge him in all our ways, we begin to lean on our own understanding. Jonah is a great example to us in this regard. We find Jonah, who had a God-given purpose, God's prophet, the book opens with him running away from God. How, much, how many of us have been there in our lives? Not one time, but perhaps many times where where instead of running towards him, our affections and purposes are running away from him. But God was gracious to Jonah, and, and we see that God sends a storm into his life and ultimately has him swallowed up by a fish where Jonah recommits his life to God and recommits to following him, even to Nineveh, the enemies of Israel, to preach. And so we see here in Jonah chapter 4, even though he had renewed his commitment to follow God, again, Jonah wandering in the attitudes of his heart and mind. Again, like many of us, Jonah lost his way. And we learned uh, several weeks ago, one of the reasons that Jonah lost his way was because of his bitterness towards the enemies of Israel, the Assyrian Empire. Nineveh was its capital. We discussed several times along our series of weeks back that Jonah was deeply impacted 
by the Assyrian Empire. And ultimately, Jonah wanted God to judge them, to condemn them, not to extend to them forgiveness and mercy. And we learn through both biblical and secular history that Jonah had some very good reasons for his anger. Often anger is like that, isn't it? Bitterness is like that. We have good reasons for it, even though it misdirects our hearts. The Assyrian Empire was one of the most brutal, ruthless people in all of history. If you remember, one of the inscriptions found on several city gates in archaeology was after they destroyed a city that resisted its will, they would engrave on its gates, they, we captured, we pillaged, and we destroyed. Many of the cities in northern Israel historically had resisted the Assyrians and paid the ultimate price as cities were destroyed, women were raped, people were enslaved. One historian records that one of the ways they were enslaved by the Assyrians as they were conquered is the Assyrians would put a spike through their cheek from one side to another and they would drag them along into slavery into the land they were bringing them and some of them would make that journey hundreds and hundreds of mile, miles and no doubt some of them had found their way even in Nineveh. And so Jonah looked at all of this and was so filled with bitterness and unforgiveness towards them that even when God extends mercy and forgiveness, he just couldn't handle it. And we see in verses 1 through 4 in chapter 4, he's so filled with rage, he literally prays to God to take his life. So this morning, I want us to, to discover two basic truths in our text. First, all of us, including Jonah, are on a journey called life, and the attitudes that we journey with will very much de- depend on whether we're willing to follow God in every area of our lives, even forgiving our enemies. And a second truth I want us to see is how, as we journey or walk in this life, that the desires that we live with will ultimately determine the ultimate outcome of our lives. A God-given purpose fulfilled in a God-directed way will produce a God-filled life. A life directed by self, a life that leans not on God, but its own understanding will produce a self-driven purpose directed by selfish ambition and selfish desires. So let's look at these verses together. We begin here by asking a question. Is what was going on up to this point in Jonah's heart? Why is he so filled with despondency? And ultimately, the circumstances that he was in ultimately revealed what was already in his heart. Let me repeat that for you. Circumstances are not what define us. It's our heart's attitude rooted, whether in God or self, is going to determine what's truly inside us. 
we're going through, all of us, a strange time in our nation's history and the world's history with this coronavirus, an unseen enemy that's, that's literally turned our lives upside down. And some of us are thinking, well, you know, my life is going to improve when the circumstances change and the virus dissipates and life returns back to normal. That, that's, of course, a normal way of looking at things right now. But I want us to ask a simple question. The circumstances that we have been ushered into that are beyond our control, what have they revealed about your life? What have they revealed about what's going on in your heart and in your mind towards the things of God, towards yourself, towards people? You see, Jonah, you would think that with all Jonah had been through, that his heart would be transformed and be willing to go God's way. But that's not what we discover here in chapter 4. Despite God stopping him when he tried to flee God's presence by sending a storm, despite being cast into the sea and being swallowed by a, a fish, despite God fulfilling his word when the king of Nineveh and his people repented, we see in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, that Jonah's life was still filled with a deep-rooted Bitterness and anger. Verse 1 uses three words to describe how deep Jonah's anger was. Displeased, exceedingly, and anger. Each word has the force in the original language that Jonah was so bitter, so angry, that here in the original language, the, the force of it is to be burned up and consumed by it completely. He just couldn't get away from it. Have you ever been so angry and bitter at something that you're just inconsolable? I think most of us have been there. Whether it's a betrayal by a close friend or a spouse, a disappointment of our children, a financial loss, a health problem, or whatever consumes you like Jonah, we become so burned up by it that God winds up on the periphery of our lives and and the anger and the bitterness about that disappointment becomes central. You see, here's the problem with bitterness and anger. The problem with anger is that it distorts our ability to see things the way they truly are. That is why in James chapter 1, verse 20, we are told that anger does not accomplish the righteous things of God. It blurs us, our, our passions blur us to see what's right and true. Proverbs 14.29 tells us that one who's quick-tempered displays folly. In other words, within the heart of an angry, bitter person is foolishness itself. Many times deep-rooted anger is rooted in past hurt or trauma. I believe, uh, even though it's not written in the text, that was the case with Jonah and what he experienced with the Assyrian Empire. And I think it's the case, perhaps, with some of us this morning. Maybe you've been hurt. Maybe you're hurting right now. And instead of experiencing the joy of Christ and the freedom of the relationship that we can have with the Lord, the peace of God, instead of those things, your heart has been filled and consumed by despondency. Maybe you were hurt as a child. 
abusive, dysfunctional home. Maybe it's something current that's causing your heart to be bitter. Whatever the root of that anger is, it does not, as James tells us, accomplish the righteous things of God. Some of the steps to overcoming anger is first to acknowledge it for what it is. That is always the first step in the healing process. To acknowledge, to to lift up, so to speak, the hood of our lives and to look within and say, why am I feeling the way I am feeling? And so we acknowledge that that's essential to the first step for God to enter and to heal it. Heal some disappointment or something that that we may not have wanted in our lives has happened. And as a result, anger has crept in. And after we acknowledge it and to understand that anger does not accomplish the right things of God, then we need to wait on God for his answers that his Holy Spirit would minister and bring healing to our heart. And that leads us to a second truth this morning. Our life's journey with God himself. Now, for Jonah, he knew the Lord, like many of us who are tuned in this morning with YouTube and Facebook. You know Christ as Savior. But perhaps, like Jonah, your struggle with who God is. Jonah reveals to us that he he couldn't get over his anger. And and look at what the text says in verse 2. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee, Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting, from disaster. What's Jonah's struggle here? His struggle is with the character of God. Remember, Jonah wants justice and judgment here. He does not want mercy upon the Assyrians. He's struggling with, with God's will. Jonah wanted God to judge the king of Nineveh. He didn't want them to turn from evil. And turn to God. He didn't want God to extend mercy and forgiveness. In essence, Jonah did not want God's will to be done here. That is so often at the root of our bad attitudes. Our anger. Our jealousies. The things that become toxic to our soul. Our inability to accept God's will. His mind on things. We don't want weakness or brokenness or to be put in a place where we come to the end of ourselves. We want strength. We want wholeness. We want to be in control. But those things we want often put us at odds with the things of God. And if we're not willing to accept his will, we'll become bitter instead of a people at peace. You could argue... That if anger is your primary emotion with dealing with disappointment, that instead of trusting God and acknowledging him in all your ways and leaning on your own, unders- you're leaning on your own understanding. Surrendering and acceptance of our circumstances 
that often are out of our control and trusting God is the key to leading us to peace and quiet confidence. A well-known verse that we had been repeating throughout this whole corona crisis is Isaiah 26.3. Amazing words to help us here. God will keep in perfect peace he whose mind is stayed on the Lord because he trusts in him. Trust in the Lord for he is our everlasting rock. And the idea of a rock is stability. The idea of a rock is certainty. The idea of a rock is immovability. Those are the opposite qualities that are there with anger, which are intemperance and uncertainty and fear. Jonah wants his enemies judged and condemned, and his bitterness was so deep that he stopped listening to God. Sometimes it can be like that. Even after God sends a storm, even God redirects our steps, has us swallowed up by a fish, so to speak, we turn back to our foolish ways. We're really not that different than Jonah. Our faith can also be like his. You know, another root of the problem here is that what we want what we want when we want it. And often what we want and what God wants are at odds with each other. We want to be free from financial struggle, and God wants us to learn to be dependent on him. We want to face, we don't want to face physical weakness. God wants to teach us that his power is perfected in weakness. We want to be certain of what the future holds, and God wants us to walk with him and to trust him and, and to be in fellowship with him. So in essence, for us to learn to depend on God, to learn that his strength is sufficient in weakness and to trust him, God removes things from our lives. And if we don't yield to him in those areas, instead of peace, we live in disappointment. Instead of a sense of confidence because God is present with us. We feel he's far away because we're going our way instead of his way. James chapter 4 verse 3 tells us why some of us are joyless and without peace and rarely see our prayers answered. You, James writes, ask God and don't receive because you Ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. I like the way the NIV frames this verse out. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. In other words, the sum total of some people's relationship with God is God feed me. God take care of me. It's not a desire to be with God in fellowship with God. It's for God to be, so to speak, like the proverbial genie in the bottle. When I need him, I take him off the shelf, rub the bottle, and ask him to give my wish. And when he doesn't give it, I'm upset. I'm angry. I'm sullen. If we want what we want 
without a sense that what we want is what God wants, then ultimately we want it for ourselves, for our pleasures, for our passion. But if we want what God wants, then instead of our pleasures, passions, selfishness, it will be God's spirit who guides us. And his spirit will lead us to a peace instead of deep-rooted anger. You know, murder is the deepest form of anger. If you remember when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount tells us that you've heard it said, do not be angry with your brother or do not murder your brother. But I say to you that even if you're angry with your brother, you come under the judgment. What Jesus is really teaching us there was that in, in many senses, anger and murder are, are the same because anger precedes murder. Anger is what leads to, to murder. And so when our hearts are full of anger, we're not that far short of the sin of murder. It's the same thing. One is in the heart of man, the, the root of man. And so God wants to lead us from that place. And here we have Jonah, who would have been quite all right from his own perspective to see the entire city of Nineveh destroyed. In fact, he goes and sits on a hill, we're going to learn, and waits. What is he waiting for? His hope, believe it or not, as we'll see in the next few weeks, his hope is that God would bring judgment upon Nineveh, much like God brought judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. And when he doesn't, he begins to boil within. And so Jonah expresses really the the root of his anger. I knew, he said, verse 2, I knew that you're a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. And so we see in verse 3, What was Jonah's desire after all that transpired? He prays. This is a prayer. Imagine. Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. If Jonah were to fully accept what he knew in his head here, he would have also accepted it in his heart. But instead, because he had refused to accept what God's mind and heart were in terms of mercy and love, we find him even wanting to die rather than see his enemies forgiven. In verse 4, God asks Jonah a simple question, and this is where I want to finish up. I think it's a question that we can all ask ourselves. Do you do well to be angry? And it leads us to a question, what's truly in our best interest? I think another way to paraphrase this is this way. I think God is asking Jonah, is it 
really in your best interest, Jonah, to remain bitter and angry? The answer to that question, of course, is a resounding no. How could Jonah personally benefit by remaining angry when God had already made up his mind to forgive Israel's enemies and use Jonah towards that end? So instead of joy and peace, we see Jonah here in verse 1, exceedingly displeased. In such a deep-rooted anger, he was burning up with it. And as we saw in James chapter 1, verse 20, anger never, never accomplishes the right things of God. And if our lives are not accomplishing the right things of God rather than peace, love, joy, will remain in our bitterness. How does that possibly benefit us? I can only encourage you with my own story. All my life, I struggled with anger, and I still at times struggle with it. I grew up in a home of alcoholism, a home where verbal and emotional abuse was a constant, a home that I wanted out from from the age of being a young boy. So when I left home at the age of 18, anger followed me into life. It pushed me into all kinds of strange places. Drugs, the hippie trail that took me around the world traveling, new age philosophy, toxic late night culture of playing jazz music. None of those things removed the anger. Two things I had to acknowledge, even after I came to Christ. One, my deep-rooted anger towards my past was a source of so much pain in my life and and revealed my unwillingness to forgive some of those who injured me along the way. The second thing I had to acknowledge is that God's grace would be sufficient and that I needed to accept his love, his forgiveness in my life and extend it even to those who hurt me. We have a loving God, a God who's merciful, gracious, slow to anger, and he's there for you and I. We just need to turn to him with all of our affections. So wherever you're at this morning, whether you sense God is far away or not, It is good to know and remember that, as the psalmist said, his mercies and his love endure forever. He invites us into a relationship with him, to abide in him, even in our deepest disappointments, that we may know him more and more and be transformed into the image of his son. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness that we see in this beautiful text of Scripture. We ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you just continue to speak to our hearts through this very unique time that we're all going through. We pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that where there's temptation towards bitterness, that we 
that your spirit would give us the strength to let go and to surrender and to acknowledge you in all our ways and to, to let you direct our paths. And Father, if there's any bitterness or anger within our hearts this morning towards another, give us the strength to forgive, to be released from that anger that we may experience your peace, your joy, your love. And we pray these things all in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen.